Funnily enough, Elizabeth Taylor came into my life. She was dating my cousin, who was the Iranian ambassador back in the mid-70s. And uh, that started this friendship that went on till the day she passed away. I was so blessed to know this woman. She was a great friend. She gave me hope that, you know, if you want to follow your dreams, just go do it. You know, don't give in to what other people want out of you. You know, here I was having always loved movies and suddenly my best friend is Elizabeth Taylor. Hello and welcome to The Big Interview. I'm Robert Bounds. Today we'll meet Farouz Zahedi, the American photographer whose huge career has seen him shoot Hollywood royalty for the world's most consequential magazines, work across brands and commercial projects, as well as focus on the interiors and exteriors and photograph them of some of the most amazing architecture in his home patch of California. Andy Warhol, Elizabeth Taylor, Angelina Jolie, Meryl Streep, Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand, Leonardo DiCaprio, Samuel L. Jackson. For Vogue, Vanity Fair, Entertainment Weekly, Architectural Digest, you name it. He shot the greats for the greats. Zahedi grew up far from the pools and palms of California, though. Born in Tehran in 1949 and educated at a drafty English boarding school, Zahedi's escape was a relative in the diplomatic service and a stint in it himself. And then the glamour and society of the parties that it offered. How much different was New York and Warhol and making a lifelong friend of Elizabeth Taylor and moving to Los Angeles? We'll find out, and maybe, how to take those timeless shots. Here is Firuz Zahedi. Feruz, it's wonderful to have you on the programme. Now, having a wonderful photographer of note, there are a million questions we could ask, of course. We'll get into all that stuff. But I wondered, actually, we'll do some history, ancient or otherwise. But I always want to know what the last shot that a photographer took was, actually. Um, you've had a fantastically fascinating life. But what was the last picture on your uh, iPhone reel or, or that you took with your camera, I wonder? Well, believe it or not, it was my wife <laughs> and my stepchildren. There's a magazine out here in Montecito called The Riv. And uh-huh. they're doing a story on my wife and I. And because my wife's a big um, art collector, so they're doing a story on us. So we, I took some photos, which family photos, but they're tougher to deal with than some of the celebrities, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good, that's an interesting thing. I mean, uh, there is something, what is the difficulty there? Is it because you know all the candid moments and a candid shot always seems a little bit posed? Or what's the tough thing about taking a photograph of your family and other half, it is? Okay, so not just my family, but like people who are not celebrities who've asked me to photograph them, they want me to make them look like the celebrities I've photographed, you know. And those shoots with the celebrities are sort of very set up. There's people there to do hair and makeup and wardrobe, blah, blah, blah. But then if someone says to you, like your family or a friend, you know, can you do my photo and make me look like so-and-so? I basically say, no, I can't. <laughs> because, you know, you're not so-and-so, you're you. And, you know, just give me the best of you rather than try and look like some celebrity whose uh, image you've seen that I've photographed. I think it's the insecurity in people. Not that I'm saying my family is insecure, but, you know, people are not used to being photographed who have nothing to promote. They just want a nice photo. They can be a lot more nervous and uneasy than 
the celebrity who's done it over and over again, and they can follow direction well. And in all frankness, I have sort of pulled away from celebrity work for a while now, since COVID. I mean, I did a couple of shoots during COVID, one with Streisand, Barbara Streisand, one with Meg Ryan, the friends, they requested I do the shoots. I am sort of moved into the direction of putting books together, doing exhibitions of my work that are either portraits or non-portrait work, more fine art work. So being asked to take a portrait of someone who's not used to standing in front of a camera, it's more of a challenge, quite frankly. It's easier to deal with celebrities. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I can, I can understand that. that. That, as you say, taking of direction, knowing from what angle they look good and being able to kind of follow your lead, I suppose. I can understand that. I wanted to, and we'll come to Montecito because there are good reasons to be photographing that, that don't need to be Googled by our listeners. I'm sure there's a, there's a you're not the only well-known couple, Firuz, that live in the neighbourhood, I, I think. We'll come to that later. <laughs> <laughs> we set this up in the introduction, but I kind of feel like you're the sort of photographic zelig in some way, Firuz. You've been, you've popped up in every scene from an interesting childhood in Iran, to British boarding school, I understand, through Warhol, a great deep friendship with Liz Taylor, all sorts of stuff. It's a fast-flowing river of anecdotes, I'm sure, in which we want to stick our finger. But I wanted to ask you first about growing up in Iran and about, I believe, a sort of an escape that you indulged in in the movies. Tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure Iranian cinemas in the late 60s and 70s must have been fascinating, smoky places to be. Well, I was born way back in 1949 in Iran, and it was a difficult time in politically. It was like a lot of unrest. My family was a part of the government at that time. And, you know, there was um, a coup with the Shah having to leave, and then the nationalist government took over and then went back and forth. And my dad, who was a general in the Shah's military, he was made a political prisoner and it was a very difficult time for my immediate family and my family. And then the Shah came back and then, you know, my family regained a position in the government. But for me as a little child going through that, I didn't know what was going on, but I could just feel the, I just felt all the intensity, all the insecurities of what was going on. And I had comic books and then there was movies. There were cinemas which showing Hollywood movies and they were the biggest escape for me to see these colorful images of beautiful people in beautiful homes, beautiful environments, being happy, movies with happy endings. That was like something that gave me a sense of security that that's what I wanted. And I just focused on that. And then soon after, my dad decided that for his three sons to get a good education, it's best to move us to England. So we moved to London and then on to a boarding school which was miserable. <laughs> um, but again, you know, being at, school, at a boarding school with kids who didn't like foreigners, and I'm talking early 60s, and, you know, that could be pretty rough over there. Again, my escape was Hollywood movies or any movie that was colorful and beautiful and gave me a route to get out of the everyday life I was going through. That's why I became enamored by film and anything to do with film and, you know, film stars or trivia to do with films. And it just stayed with me, although because of my family and who they were, 
I sort of went on to go to Georgetown University and go to study foreign service. But my heart still wasn't in that. Again, you know, movies, anything to do with, you know, escapism was a priority for me because I really didn't want to deal with the reality of life. And then, funnily enough, Elizabeth Taylor came into my life. She was dating my cousin, who was the Iranian ambassador back in the mid-70s in Washington, D.C. He was bachelor, was very good looking. He gave great parties. He, he was very charming. And he was hooked up with her by Henry Kissinger, of all people. They started a romance, and he invited her to come stay at the embassy. And then he asked me, although I was no longer working at the embassy, I'd plucked up enough courage to say I want to go to art school, and I'd quit the diplomatic service and gone off to an art school in Washington, D.C. So he said, come help look after Elizabeth for me because I got to work a lot and all that. And uh, that started this friendship that went on till the day she passed away. I was so blessed to know this woman. She was a great friend. She encouraged me. She gave me hope that, you know, if you want to follow your dreams, just go do it. You know, don't give in to what other people want out of you. You know, here I was having always loved movies and suddenly my best friend is Elizabeth Taylor. It's amazing. I thought, <laughs> I mean, growing up in Iran, British boarding school, then your cousin is the Iranian ambassador and he's dating Liz Taylor. Then you end up being her dear friend until she passed away. I think the only way to respond to that is as you do, as we say in England. <laughs> Seems like an incredible, an incredible litany of amazing happenstance. And it's wonderful stuff. I mean, you were friends or you're in the circle of or you're friends with Andy Warhol as well. How on earth do you go about beginning to be friends with people like Andy and Liz? Because these are people who were colossally famous. They must have, Firuz, wanted very dearly and desperately to be friends with you. What sort of aura did you give off? Do you know what I mean? You must have given off an atmosphere of, of deep charm yourself. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm, you know, I am me. I mean, I've never sort of, I'm kind of a nice guy. What can I tell you? I'm not, I don't take advantage of people. As far as Andy's concerned, I was introduced to him by a good friend of mine who was a journalist. And because Andy wanted to get a footing in Washington, D.C., you know, he loved being around celebrities, whether they were movie stars or politicians. He just loved being with the most famous people. And he was dying to get to know my cousin. So that friendship evolved and it paid off for him because I introduced him to my cousin, my cousin gave a party for him in D.C. and it got a lot of press and Andy loved that. So we had that friendship. I would never say my friendship with Andy was anywhere like my friendship with Elizabeth because Elizabeth didn't need me in her life. She was just a really good person who was being very supportive. I think she saw in me something from her own childhood. You know, she had a very tough childhood. I mean, everyone sees her old movies in National Velvet or Lassie and whatever, and they think, oh, look at this cute young girl, you know, everything's fine and dandy with her. But she was basically forced to work when she was a teenager by her mother and her parents, both her parents, because they were sort of, she was the breadwinner in the family. And mother wouldn't let her stop acting, although she wanted to stop. 
So she sort of went off and got married at the age of 18 to Nikki Hilton, which was a disastrous marriage. He was abusive. He was a drunkard. And she had to get out of that quite fast. And then on to other marriages, some she really loved those men, but some, you know, just didn't work out. So she saw in me someone struggling to get out of this hold that the family had on me and encouraging me to break out of that and do what I wanted to do. I was always very loyal to her. I never took advantage of her. To this day, I'm amazed. And I'll be honest with you, I'm working on a script about our trip to Iran, Elizabeth and I, because it was a fascinating trip. That's when our friendship really uh, took hold and became strong. And um, she confided in me, I confided in her. I didn't really think about it. But years later, I thought to myself, there I was in my mid-20s, and she was in her kind of, I think, which was 42, 43 years old at that point. And I think, what was this about? What created this bond between us? It was fascinating, and I will never forget it. I will always be indebted to her for helping me through, you know, whenever I wasn't making money as a photographer, she got me a job. In fact, I nearly gave up trying to be a photographer back in 1978 because I wasn't making enough money and I was about to give in to my family, pressuring me to go to Iran, return to Iran to work there. So I told her that. I said, I'm going to go to Iran. She said, don't go. I'm going to Hollywood to do a movie. I want you to come along with me as my personal photographer. And she picked up the phone and got a deal with the producer. I was sitting there watching her get me a job, get me a certain amount of money per week, get me a hotel room at the Beverly Hills Hotel. She acted like my agent, you know, and she took me to LA. And, uh, super agent. I love that. The, the, the boot was on the other foot for once there. I like that. Right? <laughs> Call my agent. Yeah. yeah. Um, She's called Elizabeth Taylor. You might know her. Yeah. She's a very tough negotiator. <laughs> I know. Nobody could say no to her. So anyway, I came with her to LA in the summer of 78. And I met a lady here whom I'd known from before in Washington, and we fell in love. And during the course of this film being shot, I fell in love with this lady. And then when the film wrapped, we decided to get married and for me to stay in Los Angeles and pursue my career here. And Elizabeth encouraged me to do that. And lo and behold, two months after I got married, there was that revolution in Iran, the Islamic government took over. And if I'd gone back, I would have been not in a very good yeah. place. That's incredible, yeah. Farouz. I mean, that really is the timing of that and the actuality of it. It's incredible. The revolution, as sadly all revolutions are, is a thing that encourages great journalism, great storytelling, great reportage, great imagery. Was there any part of you that felt the wrench, obviously, of family, of the place of your birth, but also the idea of changing your style and your subject matter to go and be on the front line out there, as it were, and take a different sort of picture? The truth is, you know, I left Iran when I was nine. And although in the first few years after I left, I was miserable in England because I didn't really know the language well, then I went to boarding school and it was not a very pleasant environment. After a few years, I fell into a whole different cultural thing we dig. You know, I mean, I became more English and then I came to America and I became more American. And so there was a huge 
gap between me and my origin, culturally, language-wise, in every way. And my family was spread out all over the world. So if I vacationed, if I went on a holiday, I would go from London to Geneva to visit family or to Paris to visit family or something like that. Only twice during those years did I go back to Iran. And the last time I was there was with Elizabeth Taylor in 1976. And to me, it was like going to a foreign country. Although I had relatives there and I saw them, I did not have that kind of an attachment. And I'm not saying I don't feel Iranian. I am Iranian. And I have great respect for the culture of the past. But politically, I got to be honest with you, I was neither the fan of the previous regime nor this regime. I'm a Democrat. You know, I vote yeah. Democrat. <laughs> I like democracy. And neither regime was that democratic. So I was at that point in America. So, you know, I was living in a democracy. And I had no desire to give that up and go back to a country that was kind of alien to me at that point. I'm sure Iranians, if they're listening to this, they're going to like really not like me for saying that. But, you know, you tend to um, sort of just adapt to the environment you're in for the longest time, you know? Yeah. And I hear that from Iranians as well. You know, nowadays, you know, I've, I've interviewed singers and, and musicians from Iran as well who've said that you feel less, you obviously feel less part of your homeland in some way when you don't necessarily agree with its policies you know you don't feel like you fit into a place but you have to and it's it's obviously tough Firuz we've hinted towards pictures and the, the glamour of these Hollywood movies that you watched in these movie theatres in Iran but I wonder where your formative ideas of images came from presumably it was from those films what did that teach you did it teach you about lighting composition framing are those the lessons that you've taken into your photographic career um, some of the pictures that you've shot for the likes of Vanity Fair, I suppose, especially, which allow for this, that want Hollywood glamour to look glamorous, or rather that want Hollywood to look glamorous, seem to come directly from those movies, that sort of golden age, as it were. Is that what kind of informed your visual language as a younger man and photographer? That's correct, actually, you know, because I sort of felt I owe something to those movies that I watched in the 1950s and um, 60s, glamorous, colorful Hollywood films, you know, beautiful people. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. The envy of every man. The nemesis of the treacherous Mr. Goldfinger. Without a treaty of alliance with Egypt, you could not hold the territories under your command. True? Possibly. Then, Lord Antony, you come before me as a suppliant. If you choose to regard me as such. I do. You will therefore assume the position of a suppliant before this throne. You will kneel. The French are glad to die for love. They delight in fighting duels. Could the pie win the Grand National? Velvet Brown, who do you think you are? I'm the owner of the pie. And does that give you leave to go poking your head out amongst the stars? Believing you could take the richest, grandest prize a horse ever won? Kiss on the hand, maybe. 
quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly, who typifies and glorifies the glamorous playmates of this dizzily spinning world as she and George Peppard breeze through the glitter and shimmer of New York as it has never been captured before. I owed something to them for getting me through those years. So when I got to a position I could do whatever I wanted with, you know, with these magazines, I tried to recreate lighting-wise, glamour-wise, some of those looks, you know, even with the makeup and the hair and the outfits. I sort of had the wardrobe people, I directed them more towards more classic outfits rather than what was the trend of the moment. Because, yeah, I had the, the visual of those old movie stars in my head. Because, you know, to me, right now, I mean, like, I can't understand a lot of the fashion that's around, you know, all these new trends that are a little wacky for my liking. And I think the classics always remain. And the way I like to take a photograph is the image should speak to me 20 years from now. It should have a good classic visual to it that when I look at something I did, let's say 20 years ago, and I'm looking at it today, and I'm going to look at it again 20 years from now, I wanted to still have a great sense of style and a good classic vibe to it, you know? So yeah, the, those old movies did leave a great impression on me. And I did carry that through when I took photographs for the various magazines. Yeah, and it feels like there's a very much, yeah, that you've got a classic style. But how do you know when something's good enough to be enjoyed in posterity, Firuz? That's something, that's quite an eye you have in order to be able to look down the other end of the telescope, as it were, and see, see that it, it holds up down the line, right? The way I look at it, you know, when I go to photograph a celebrity is a celebrity is like anybody else. Everybody wants to look good in a photograph, you know. I don't try and take advantage of anyone. I want them to trust me. I like that person's soul to shine through in the image. I like for them to feel happy about the image, to trust me. And when they trust you behind the camera, then they give you something. You know, I, I know there's photographers who manipulate and who try and get an image out of someone to say, this is me, rather than this is that person I'm photographing. You know, the style says too much about the photographer and very little about the subject. I like the photograph to be a classic, straightforward, beautiful image that says something about the person I'm photographing. I don't want it to be about me. In all honesty, I like being behind a camera. I don't like being in front of a camera. I love the fact that I'm in a position. I mean, I remember when my career was taking off and I was being given assignments one after the other. And then I was asked to go to New York to do a poster for Broadway production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which was kind of funny because Elizabeth Taylor had done it in a movie. Elizabeth Taylor is Maggie the Cat, a girl too hungry for love to care how she goes about getting it. I don't mind making a fool of myself over you. Well, I mind. I feel embarrassed for you. Feel embarrassed? But I can't live on this way. Now, you agreed to accept that condition. I know I did, but I can't. I can't. 
an intimate revealing story of the conflict within people. Maggie! Maggie, the cat is alive! I'm alive! So it was with Kathleen Turner, was the actress, playing the part. And I took a night flight, red eye, over to New York because I had a job that day in LA. So I get there and I'm like exhausted, but I have to go straight to the studio. And the way we'd set it up was somewhat to duplicate the image of Elizabeth Taylor from the movie where she's sort of sitting at the edge of a brass bed, holding the bed and wearing a satin negligee. Why don't you put on your nice silk pajamas, honey, and come on down to the party? There's a lovely cool breeze. Give me my crutch, Maggie. Lean on me, baby. Was your bath water cool? No. I know something make you feel cool and fresh. Alcohol rub. Cologne. No thanks. We'd smell alike, like a couple of cats in the heat. So Kathleen was wearing the same sort of outfit, same kind of bed. And I had to climb up this ladder to shoot it from slightly up there. And suddenly my head started spinning. I was so dizzy. I was so exhausted. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can fall down, break my skull and die. But what a way to go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, here I am doing this shoot, not knowing, you know, not having known in the past that I'll get to this point that I'll be in demand so much that I'll be working back to back. And every time I got to work with someone whom I'd admired, it was such a treat for me. Mm. I remember working with Meryl Streep the first time, and I thought, you know, I had to bow down because I revered her work so much. So each time I worked with, you know, these, what you might want to call them superstars, whatever, but I call them, you know, great talents. It was just an amazing, amazing experience, a great treat for me. I took me back to being a kid wanting to be in Hollywood and somehow being involved with Hollywood. And there I was, you know, taking yeah. portraits of these amazingly famous Hollywood people. You mentioned at the beginning of our interview, Firuz, that, you know, people can come with a sort of preconceived idea of how they want you to shoot them, you know, like, you know, and I was going to say, well, you know, if, if we ever met up in real life, I'd want you to, I know you've worked with Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm like, do me as DiCaprio, Firuz. You know, that's what I'd, <laughs> that's the bargain I'd want to strike with you. But you are an expert at photographing women, especially, and I hope you don't mind me saying that, but you get such amazing performances. I don't know whether they're supernatural or just contrived enough, these images of very well-known actresses, particularly is that fair to say? Do you have a particular, and your friendship with Elizabeth Taylor, as you've detailed, was obviously deep, rich and wonderful. How is that the case? It seems like you're great at directing women. I love women. I mean, I love women. And I think they are much more at ease than men when you photograph them, because either it's their vanity or their, whatever it is, they give you a lot more than guys do. Some guys are okay to work with, but women love to get dressed up and love to look glamorous and they enjoy the experience a lot more than guys do. I mean, I've worked with everyone from De Niro to Samuel Jackson to Robin Williams, everybody, you know, 
people I admire, I'm always a little more inhibited with the guys, except with Robin, he was so hilarious. You know, British actors, male actors, or European male actors are easier to work with. They don't mind showing a little bit of their femininity, you know? American actors have a hard time with that, I think, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. I do know, I, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's a very it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because if you look at Hollywood movies, it's about making money. If you're a macho actor, you've got to show yourself in your photographs as a macho actor, you know, because your movie's got to make millions and millions of dollars. I don't think English actors have that fussiness about them. They're so much more relaxed about it. I've worked with quite a few, but I don't know, you know, I just like working with women. I mean, that's more fun, the beautiful, you know, you can joke around. Yeah. And, and and I repeatedly worked with them, you know, like they like working with me. So outside of Elizabeth, I mean, Meryl, I worked with a lot. Barbara Streisand, I've worked a lot with um, Meg Ryan. I mean, I haven't worked with a lot of these newer actresses, but from the old school, I worked repeatedly with Jodie Foster. These are like the major actresses. Mm. So... We'll drink to that, Firuz. I think that I think that's it's phenomenal <laughs> stuff. Let's switch to. I know that you work a lot, and, and especially lately in interiors and exteriors. Now, this, you know, you're wonderful at getting a performance out of people and a real engagement. You know, they love and respect you and your work. It's clear from the the engagement that you get from those people. But a flower a wall, a a beautiful garden with a swimming pool and palm trees and pampas grass. These are not giving, these are not flirting with you. (laughs) How on earth do you go about this? This is a very different ball game, isn't it? So how do you go about the interiors and exteriors when you come from such a rich universe of people? That's the opposite of dealing with people in that you don't have to woo anyone to do anything for you. It's there. I mean, a beautifully manicured garden with beautiful trees and a pool, whatever, it's already there. You just have to find the right angle to shoot it from and the right time of the day to get the right light. I mean, I love photographing flowers because, you know, they're so beautiful. And they don't talk back to you and say, oh, you know, I've had a hard day. Hurry up. Let's move (laughs) on, you know. (laughs) Uh, So it's calming and it feeds my soul. I love I love beautiful things. I love architecture. I love design. You know, this world is, you know, we're going through such a hard time with this world with climate change and nobody's paying enough attention to it. And I want to capture it before it all goes, you know? Every time I look out at the blue sky, I say, my God, I want to keep, you know, I want to photograph that because I don't know if it's going to come again tomorrow. We're living very tough times right now, I think, because politics is so crazy nobody's paying attention to the real issues. I mean, some people are, and they're trying to get everybody else to do, but those who should be making the main effort, our governments and the big businesses who are polluting everything, they're not doing anything to preserve this world. So I like to photograph things that will remind me down the road how beautiful the world is. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, particularly you're in California and Montecito, you will see a lot of blue skies, maybe too many. I think that's the kind of the problem, isn't it? Unless unless there's smoke occluding your view, Firuz. That's the horrible thing about California and peak summer, isn't it? The wildfires and Actually, stuff. Right now, we're going through a huge heat wave, 100 degrees here. That's because of the fact that we've got this climate issue 
I mean, it's it's in the news everywhere right now how, you know, in Pakistan, you had the flooding and, you know, here we have the heat wave and everything's gone crazy, you know, with, with the climate. But, you know, Montecito is very beautiful. It's near the ocean. I'd been going up there for daily visits or like a weekend or something like that throughout the years. And I always thought, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a home here? And then my wife said, yeah, well, let's get a place. So we finally got a place there. And we got it before Harry and Meghan. <laughs> so we beat them to it. I think it's important to point and that out. <laughs> the funny thing is, I thought, you know, no one's done a book on Monsito. They've done books on Santa Barbara, which is the greater part. I mean, like Monsito is just a little part of Santa Barbara. And I got a call from a publisher at one of the big publishing companies and said, oh, do you want to do a book with us? I said, well, you know, I'm just promoting my portrait book right now. I haven't had chance to think about another project. But if I do do a book, I like to do a book on Montecito. And they're based in New York. So they're like, uh, okay. So they're not that familiar with Montecito, although Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres had homes there. A lot of celebrities have homes there. So then a couple of months go by, two, three months go by. And this was all during beginning of COVID. And Harry and Meghan move up there. And then these people call me again, and I say, well, you know, Harry and Megan are up there. So, oh, yeah, let's do the book. Not that we photograph them or their home. One of the beauties of Montecito is they leave you alone. There's privacy there. I think there's been a little bit with Prince Harry and Megan, but not the way it would be if they were, I don't know, in L.A. or in London or whatever. Mm. So it's a beautiful place. It's, it's green. It's lush. And the ocean's right there. Just a wonderful, wonderful location to be. And I'm grateful we have a home up there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds idyllic. And what, what's your, your book on Montecito, Furuz? Is that portraits of local people? Is that, you no, know, no, no, is, no. That, is, that, is uh, this all interiors, exteriors and, and flowers no. and gardens? It's 20 homes. And it uh-huh. all happened during COVID. So, you know, I needed a project to keep me going. I didn't want to go cuckoo. It's Monticelli Press is the publishing company. They agreed to the project. I went around and I have a writer friend who lives up there. And we went around searching for homes. A lot of people didn't want their homes done because it was during COVID. They didn't want people to come in. But we got 20 great homes for the book, gardens and homes. We shot it during COVID. So, you know, with masks and this and that. But it was easy because it was just myself, my assistant and the writer and maybe the homeowner. It was great fun. It was calming. It gave me, um, you know, comfort to have something to do during COVID. And and it, the results are really good. The book comes out late October, early November. It's called Montecito Style by Monticelli Press. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting it out there. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds amazing. And we're going to, for our final question, Firuz, go back to... Yeah your portraiture or a suggestion of it i'd love to know you've worked with such a galaxy of amazing stars is there anyone that you haven't shot that you could that you'd love to i wonder if there's someone that's that you think that you would um you seem to make friends with a lot of the people you've worked with and um i wonder if if you're obviously a charming person a great conversationalist a great companion. I wonder who you'd like to strike up that affinity with that you haven't yet. It feels like there's not that many people you could choose from. (laughs) You know who I love 
is a British actress, Kate Winslet. Mm. I think she's super talented and she's like a chameleon. I mean, she's done every kind of role from glamorous to looking not so glamorous. And she's just an amazing actress. And I'd love to work with her because I think I could have a great conversation with her as well. And I think, you know, she's not concerned about the way she looks, her weight or anything like that. And that's kind of nice to know that when you go into a shoot, they're not going to restrict you in the way, you know, you, you photograph them, which some people do and say, well, just shoot me from up from here up or do this side or do that side. She's someone I haven't worked with her, so I don't know how it would be, but I'd love to work with her. Well, you've got the knack of putting everyone at their ease. Maybe with Miss Winslet, you wouldn't have to. But Farouz Zaidi, thank you so much for talking us thank through you. an amazing life that continues to roll on amazingly strongly with your latest projects as well. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. It was great fun. Farouz Zahedi, thank you very much for joining me here on The Big Interview. And that is it for this edition of The Big Interview. Farouz Zahedi's new book, Montecito Style, will be out on the 1st of November. Thanks to our producer, Emma Searle, our editor, Jack Dewars, and our researcher, Townsend Howard. From me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.